For those of you who may not know me, I'm Father Anthony Brausch. I'm one of the uh, priests that live and teach at the seminary. I used to come out here on a more regular basis, and um, I'm only out here today because uh, the other day Father Jan was out at the seminary, and I was able to trip him so that, uh, so that his knees are giving him enough trouble that he asked me if I'd take a couple masses for him. So I didn't want to say the real reason is because he's a whiner. <laughs> and you can tell him I said that. He's soft. Yeah. So anyway, I had a wedding recently in which, uh, and I often do this during the preparation, usually the last meeting I have before I have their wedding mass, I'll ask the couple, if you had the opportunity to preach at your own wedding mass, what, what would you say? And sometimes you get pretty good answers, sometimes maybe not so good, and sometimes blank stares. But the guy, surprisingly, was pretty sharp on this. Spoke right up, and he said, you know, I didn't think I could get any better until I met her. And she was thrilled. <laughs> and then I thought to myself, I wonder if she's thrilled because he came up with that on his own, or he finally learned what she'd been telling him. <laughs> you know? Well, today, this Sunday, we actually celebrate what's called World Marriage Sunday. And so later today, at the 11 o'clock Mass, all those couples who have been married 25 years, Father Jan will come out and give them a special blessing at that Mass. And so we have two things to think about in a sense. We have this idea of marriage, World Marriage Sunday, the celebration of, of the sacrament of marriage, and then our Gospel reading, the call to be salt of the earth, the call to be light in the world. And for us as Catholics, it poses a particular challenge, especially in the culture we now live in and as things are moving, because there's a great movement within our culture to say, you know, the idea of marriage is a natural thing. But being natural, it means that we can understand it, we can define it outside of the Judeo-Christian context. If what I experience as my desire to be in relation and to have a meaningful relation, my experience of that, that's my definition of what marriage should be. And I should not be denied that. So on a very natural level, they would argue, there is no reason, really, for marriage to be defined as one man and one woman. There's no real reason on a natural level for it to be defined as just two people. Because on a natural level, my desire to be in the type of relationship that I can call home, and that's really what marriage is directed towards in a lot of ways, on a natural level. A man shall leave his father and mother, but it's really to make home, to find a place that he calls his own, to find a place that she knows is hers, a relationship, a relationality that they know they belong. And here is where I take my stand in the world. And so on a very natural level, they look up and they say, this Judeo-Christian construct, 
is confining, maybe discriminatory. And so we don't need to work with that. At the same time, we as Christians, Catholic Christians, we say, but wait, who has told us who we are? Who has created us and then revealed to us and into his son what it means to be in right relationship and what these relationships are really about? What leads to eternal life? And we say Jesus Christ. The word become flesh. And then we profess belief that God so loved the world that he sent his only son, but sent his only son also to teach and to reveal and promises the Holy Spirit that will lead us into all truth. And so we say marriage is not just natural. It has a supernatural end as well. It is for the building up of the kingdom. And really, two Christians getting married, it's not primarily about them. That's what the church teaches. And if you don't believe me, I brought the book. <laughs> right? It's, it's worth looking at and reading some of these things because marriage is contained under the chapter that says the sacraments at the service of communion. And it says two other sacraments, holy orders and matrimony. And it's interesting that the church links these two holy orders and matrimony. They are directed towards the salvation of others. Husbands, you can tell your wives that my job, my goal is your salvation, which means I have to do penance, of which being married to you is obviously part. <laughs> and that's how it works, right? So it's directed towards the salvation of others. If they contribute as well to personal salvation, it is through service to others that they do so. Light, salt. What is light? What is salt? What's the flavor? What's the enlightenment? It's people who know Jesus Christ and know that following him means that they follow him in terms of Dying to self for the salvation of others. To hearing the call of the Lord and living in that call out of love for the salvation of those who the Lord loves. They confer these sacraments a particular mission in the church and serve to build up the people of God. So, husband and wives. Each day, you could turn to your spouse and say, we're on a mission from God, right? And you're not getting it, right? You can challenge each other. We're on a mission from God. This is about a God-given vocation. And the church believes that so much that it even uses the term consecration. So, just as the priest and the sacrament of holy orders are consecrated in Christ's name, to feed the church by the word and grace of God. On their part, Christian spouses are fortified and, as it were, consecrated for the duties and dignity of their state by a special sacrament. 
It's an incredible dignity. It's an incredible charge given by God himself. And yet time after time, of course, preparing couples, and they're young and they're idealistic, which is all good, and they're in love, which is great. But you talk to them about this, and they're not ignorant or uninterested in it. It doesn't yet hook up with their experience. It doesn't connect with them on the level that I've been hearing this my whole life. It doesn't connect with them oftentimes on the level of, I have not seen this in the married people I know. And we suffer from the church as a whole. 40 to 50 years of both priests not understanding this consecration and married couples not understanding their consecration. And so part of the crisis of marriage in the church is that we don't realize, we don't think and ponder, we don't challenge each other, you the priest, the priest you, to live this consecrated life. But we also know, and we experience day in and day out, that the ideal is hard to live, the ideal is hard to come by, and marriage is tough. And how do we think about that as a church? What do we say? It is interesting that when the church thinks about marriage and the relationality between two people, that is supposed to be for life. It has this to say in terms of that struggle. Every man and woman experiences evil around them and within themselves. This experience makes itself felt in the relationships between man and woman. Their union has always been threatened by discord, a spirit of domination, infidelity, jealousy, and conflicts that can escalate into hatred and separation. This disorder can manifest itself more or less acutely and can be more or less overcome according to the circumstances of cultures, eras, and individuals. But it does seem to have a universal character. According to faith, the disorder we notice so painfully does not stem from the nature of man and woman, nor from the nature of their relations, but from sin. It goes on to speak about the fall. And so when we look around and we see people who struggle in their relationships, spouses who might be a little selfish, self-centered, have not yet grown in that type of self-dying and love, what are we actually witnessing? We're witnessing somebody struggling with, as we all do, our fallen nature. Sin. And I bring this up just to highlight that we are all involved in a spiritual battle. It is a warfare. There are casualties in war, sometimes through no fault of their own. And so when there is wounding, when there is hurt, when there is separation, when there is a hardness of heart that develops that cannot be overcome, we should not see it in a stark glare of moral failure, good person, bad person. We should primarily see it in the category of wounded on the battlefield of love. 
wounded, sometimes by their own decisions, sometimes by the decisions of others. But a great mercy and love has to always be present. And yet at the same time, we do not thereby not preach the good news. We do not thereby redefine marriage. We do not therefore not hold up the idea, one man, one woman, for life. We still proclaim what the Lord teaches, but what the Lord proclaims overall and encompassing all is mercy and love. So, on this Marriage Sunday, what we really need to do as a community is pray for those who are married. That they understand what the Lord calls them to in that union. That they desire to be salt and light. And bring that flavor of the Lord's good news into the world so that others can see and themselves hope that they too can live that life. And when those who are of our community or elsewhere do not live up to that commitment, then we have to follow the Lord's example and be willing to die for them in love and mercy by going to prayer and sacrifice for them of assuring them of our continual support and love and asking God's mercy on both them and us. I think that is what the Lord has in mind when he says you are the salt of the earth and don't lose the flavor.